Well, good morning, gents. Good morning. And a very warm welcome to Burning Man 2015. It's fantastic to see you all here. My name's Pat Allison. I'm part of the team that helps, uh, I guess, spearhead this ministry, set it up. And, you know, they say when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Well, at 7 a.m. in the depths of winter on a cold, wet Thursday morning, you really are the tough. And so, so grateful to see you here. It's so exciting to see what the Lord is doing with this ministry. Just in case this is the first time for any of you and you don't know what Burning Man is about, this is our, our second birthday, I guess. We've been running um, for two years now. Uh, two years ago, this term, we set this ministry up and opened it up for any man across London who wanted to come and get to know God's Word better. We came together, a few of us, and felt there is a hunger for God's Word. And there's a bit of a crisis in confidence in the Gospel uh, for men uh, across London. So we wanted to put on a ministry that could uh, feed men and give them the tools they need to read the Bible better for themselves. So the vision was really to gather together every so often, which we do every two weeks uh, on a Thursday morning during term time here at St. Michael's for an hour just to get the best Bible speakers uh, and teachers that we can find, lay our hands on, to open up God's Word to us, to uh, teach us and feed us, not only for that morning, but to give us the tools we need to read the Bible better for ourselves. And it's inspired by the story of the resurrection account where Jesus appears to two disciples leaving Jerusalem, downhearted, um, lacking confidence, uh, disappointed post the crucifixion. And on the road to Emmaus, he appears to them and asks them what's going on. And they tell him, do you not know what's happened? And it says that Jesus began to open up the scriptures to them uh, and show them why the Christ had to suffer. And it says that as he did that, when he disappears from their sight later, when they realize it's Jesus, They reflect to one another, did not our hearts burn within us when he opened up the scriptures? Not when he appeared to us, not when we realized it was him, not because of some special spiritual encounter, although we're open to that, but when he opened up the scriptures to us, did not our hearts burn within us? And that's why we call this ministry Burning Man, not to be confused, uh, as ever, with the festival in the Nevada desert. Uh, There'll be no dancing this morning, I'm afraid. Sorry to disappoint. But that is our heart, that our hearts would burn within us. Uh, so welcome to Burning Man. We're thrilled you can be here. It's, a, it's perhaps the most exciting term, I think, that we've had uh, in two years of Burning Man with the lineup that's coming. Uh, I can't wait. Uh, I can't wait for this morning. And just to uh, let you know, on your way out, there's some tables behind this pillar which have some flyers. We're very 21st century. Uh, we've produced some flyers for you to hand out to any friends, any small group members, any members of your churches, colleagues perhaps you think might be interested. Grab a few flyers, a handful of flyers on your way out. These need to get out in the next two weeks, otherwise they'll be wasted. So please take some with you, hand them out uh, to friends in your churches. We want to spread this ministry. We want as many men as possible in London to benefit from this ministry. So do grab some flyers. And just so you know, Um, we encourage a £5 donation for each session if you're able to afford that or a £30 donation across the term just to cover our costs and to allow us to bless our speakers with honorariums. So um, without further ado, I'm going to introduce John, who's the curate here at St. Michael's, who's then going to introduce our speaker. Long waggle on the tee this morning. Um, It's great to be able to introduce Jonathan. He's my old boss, so I must be careful what I say. Um, My wife and I are very, very fond of Jonathan indeed. He's been wonderful at ministry all through the years. He he served at Emmanuel Wimbledon. Jonathan, was it for 30 years? Uh, 82. 82 years, yeah. (laughs) He looks young for his age. 
Um, uh, there we go. Um, and we benefited massively from his ministry, working under him on the staff team. He's got a wonderful ministry to men. We're delighted to have him with us. If you see down on the um, little term card, you'll see whom he's speaking about, which tells you enough about Jonathan. I phoned him up and said, would you be willing to speak to us at Burning Man? And we're doing a series of men in the Old Testament. He said, yes, I'd love to. Uh, can I choose my man? I said, yes, fine. He said, great. Um, I would like to do Micah Ben Imla. I said, sorry, who? And then I had to ring him up subsequently to find out whom he had said about a week later. But uh, Jonathan, we're looking forward to it, and I'm going to pray for you as you come up. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you very much indeed uh, for the opportunity to gather around your word. And we pray for Jonathan now that you'd equip him afresh to speak to us, to this group of men this morning, that we would be equipped to follow the Lord Jesus more closely today. So be with him, be with us as we listen. For Jesus' name's sake, amen. It wasn't very encouraging to hear that uh, John had been on our staff for a couple of years and hadn't heard about Micaiah ben Imla. Uh, so what would have been happening? Um, so turn, if you will, to 1 Kings and chapter 22. 1 Kings. And I'm afraid I'm re- reading from the ESV. I think you've, if it's a church Bible, it's the uh, NIV, which is slightly different in places. And I'm going to read the long chapter. So 1 Kings uh, chapter 22. For three years, Syria and Israel continued without war. But in the third year, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel, and the king of Israel said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth-Gilead belongs to us, and we keep quiet, and do not take it out of the hand of the king of Syria? And he said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to battle at Ramoth-Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Inquire first for the word of the Lord. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, Shall I go to battle against Ramoth-Gilead, or shall I refrain? And they said, Go up, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here another prophet of the Lord of whom we may inquire? And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah, the son of Imlah. But I hate him, for he never prophesies good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. Then the king of Israel summoned an officer and said, Bring quickly Micaiah, the son of Imlah. Now the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones, arrayed in their robes at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria, and all the prophets were prophesying before them. And Zedekiah, the son of Chenaah, made for himself horns of iron and said, Thus says the Lord, With these you shall push the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets said so, and said, Go up to Ramoth-Gilead, and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. And as the messenger who went to summon Micaiah said to him, uh, Behold, the words of the prophet with one accord are favorable to the king. 
let your word be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. And when he had come to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth-Gilead to battle, or shall we refrain? And he answered him, go up and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But the king said to him, how many times shall I make you swear that you speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? And Micaiah said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each return to his home in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? And Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth-Gilead? And one said one thing, another said another. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord, saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, By what means? And he said, I will go out and will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, you are to entice him, and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. Now therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these your prophets. The Lord has declared disaster for you. Then Zedekiah came near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, How did the spirit of the Lord go from me to speak to you? And Micaiah said, Behold, you shall see on that day when you go into an inner chamber to hide yourself. That's when you'll see it. And the king of Israel said, Seize Micaiah and take him back to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, Put this fellow in prison and feed him meager rations of bread and water until I come in peace. And Micaiah said, If you return in peace, the Lord has not spoken to me. And he said, Hear all you prophets. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I'll disguise myself and go into battle, but you wear your robes. And the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. Now the king of Syria had commanded the 32 captains of his chariots, Fight with neither small nor great, but only with the king of Israel. And when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, they said, It's surely the king of Israel. So they turned to fight against him. And Jehoshaphat cried out. And when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. But a certain man drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the scale armor and the breastplate. Therefore he said to the driver of his chariot, Turn around, carry me out of the battle, for I'm wounded. And the battle continued that day, and the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Syrians, until at evening he died. And the blood of the wound flowed into the bottom of the chariot. And about sunset a cry went through the army, Every man to his city, every man to his country. So the king died, and was brought to Samaria, 
They buried the king in Samaria, and they washed the chariot by the pool of Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood, and the prostitutes washed themselves in it, according to the word of the Lord that he had spoken. Now the rest of the acts of Ahab and all that he did, the ivory house that he built, all the cities that he built, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Ahab slept with his fathers, and Ahaziah, his son, reigned in his place. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we've just done a very remarkable thing, haven't we? We've read about, uh, for about five minutes or so, uh, an odd tale from a remote part of the Bible about an obscure second eleven prophet, not even Elijah or Elisha, who are just in the previous and the subsequent chapters. And when I said, this is the word of the Lord, a number of you said, thanks be to God. It's curious. Uh, let me just r- r- repeat the, the situation. Uh, for once, the kings of Judah and Israel are pulling together against a common foe, the king of Aram, that's Syria. And instead of, instead of teach, tearing at each other's throats, now it may be that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, which is a smaller uh, kingdom, didn't have much chance. But um, in Chronicles, Jehoshaphat seems to be um, stupid rather than um, evil, well-meaning but a bit of a wimp. Ahab is having another go at the Syrian menace and persuades Jehoshaphat to go up with him. And Jehoshaphat asks for a word from the Lord. And so 400 revs, right revs, venerable revs, most revs, venerables, all those sort of people, all gather, and they all the members of the synod as well, and they come together and they say, go for it. And you can almost hear the sort of soundtrack of chariots of fire in the background as they sort of get excited about this battle. But Jehoshaphat, <coughs> king of Judah, is uneasy, and he asks for a second opinion. Is there anybody else we can consult? And reluctantly, Ahab summons our hero, Micaiah ben Imla, Micaiah the son of Imla. And Micaiah is collected, and he delivers the same message, uh, because he's been warned uh, not to sort of upset things. Uh, don't sour the unanimity. Don't uh, destroy the, sort of the, the, the unity that there is at the moment. Fall in with the majority. So initially, he, he delivers the same message. Go up and... Uh, uh, you'll have a great victory. But he must have done it in a sarcastic uh, tone of voice because Ahab is suspicious and asks him again, what is the word of the Lord? And Micaiah declares absolutely that the expedition is going to be a total failure and a disaster for Ahab. And he's immediately much abused. He's slapped over the face by uh, Zedekiah. And he's also uh, put in prison. And strict monotheist that he is, he says that the false prophets have said their false predictions at the direction of the Lord God. He's not a dualist. You know there are some people who think that uh, good things come from God and bad things come from the devil, as though they're equal and sometimes God wins, sometimes the devil wins. The Bible doesn't allow us to do that. Everything that happens is according to God's will. And you'll know that the, the classic... Uh, occasion when this is all spelt out is in Acts 4 when uh, uh, Peter says that um, what had happened to Jesus, uh, people had plotted against him and then done everything that the Lord God had decreed. So it's, everything is under uh, God's uh, rule. And this is happening here again. So lying spirits sent from the Lord God. 
Uh, so he's put in prison. They uh, ignore him, but with a little bit of um, uh, exception. Um, Ahab had been warned by Elijah that he was going to die violently, so Ahab bothers to disguise himself uh, as an ordinary soldier, a private, and he just lets uh, the king of Judah go in all his robes. So they go into battle, and the king of Syria has given his decree, only go for the king, leave the others. So they begin going for, for what they think is the king, but actually it's Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, and he says, hang on a moment, I, I'm not the king of Israel, um, so they leave off him, and then a, a, a soldier draws his bow at a venture and strikes uh, Ahab uh, fatally. So that's the sort of the background of it all. Uh, Ahab not sufficiently uh, fearful to refrain from going into battle, though he does uh, disguise himself. And the story ends with dogs licking up Ahab's blood. And it's a pitiable, wretched end to the venture that began with so much excitement and so much blessing. That all supported him, except for one man, our man, Micaiah ben Imlah. And I don't know whether you noticed, there are two throne scenes. There's the throne of the Lord God, and he gets one of them to go and be a lying spirit. And then there's the throne of the kings of Judah and Israel. And the throne of God wins. Now, this story is very important because it begins a stream that is going to grow uh, deeper and wider as the Bible uh, develops. And it's a very unpleasant stream. Uh, you'll remember that Elijah had that contest with the prophets of Baal, and he trounced them. And from there on in, uh, Israel and Judah don't seem to suffer from full-blooded uh, Baal worship. And the problem from now on is with false teachers and false prophets. And that is what Ezekiel and um, Jeremiah warned them about, false prophets uh, predicting uh, lies. And it goes on in the, the New Testament. So that amazingly, within a generation, Paul is having to warn people about false teachers who are in the Christian setup but are not true. So in Corinthians, he talks about uh, pseudo-apostles, uh, mega-apostles, to be ignored. He has to warn the Galatians that they're going to be troublesome uh, teachers within churches. And the same thing happens in the pastorals. And, of course, in Acts 20, when Paul says goodbye to the, the, the um, Ephesian elders, he said, look, after, there's going to be f f wolves coming in to destroy. And again and again, the danger is false teaching. This isn't in my notes, but you know that uh, it's said that um, the devil is a murderer and he murders by lies. And in the secular world, you saw that in the 20th century. So Karl Marx scribbles his lies in the um, British Libra uh, uh, Library Museum and the result is, is Marx. Uh, the result is Lenin and um, Stalin and Mao. Those lies lead to murder. Nietzsche scribbles his lies in some... Uh, mental institute in Germany, uh, and the result is Hitler. Uh, Jean-Paul Sartre lectures his lies in Paris, and the result is Pol Pot and Khmer Rouge. And so it is that the way the devil wants to destroy the church is by false teaching, one way and another, filling our seminaries with bogus uh, prophets. And uh, again and again, as I said, 
uh, the Old Testament from here on in is warning against false teachers and upholding the true teachers. So our question today is whom should I follow? Whom should I listen to? Amidst all the siren voices that we're hearing. So three truths about Micaiah ben Imla. First of all, uh, the true prophet, the true teacher of God's word, doesn't quite fit. I've got to be cautious here. Uh, Micaiah officially is part of the accepted establishment. Uh, he'd be an Anglican. But he doesn't come out with the others. Uh, verse uh, 8, there's yet one other to listen to. Uh, so that when the, everybody else is summoned, he doesn't come. And when he does say that he'll come, he's under terrific pressure to toe the line, uh, not to rock the boat. Uh, he's seen as um, awkward and as a, a, a stirrer. Now, I said I've got to be cautious here because it's not always healthy to be a loner. Uh, Spurgeon warned about those who sit on a fence whistling their own tune, uh, becoming curmudgeonly and contumacious. And Paul warns of those who are anti-authority, Janus and Jambres, who um, opposed uh, Moses. But I don't know whether anybody here old enough to have read the books of um, uh, Watchman Nee, but the biography of Watchman Nee is entitled Against the Tide, Against the Tide. And the temptation of the Church of God is always to rubber stamp the current thinking. So in a materialistic age, uh, you have to have everything done in a very sort of posh way with lots of carpets and, you know, logos and headed notepaper and that sort of thing. In an efficient m management age, you send the, the vicar off on management courses. Uh, and so it goes on. And what, <clears throat> I don't know whether you've noticed it, but again and again, uh, letters to the press and articles are saying, oh, the church must keep up with the culture of the day and the culture has moved on. Whereas when you go back to the New Testament, you find that the Lord Jesus is countercultural. We are meant to be countercultural against the. Hmm? Oh, thank you very much. Yes, uh, yes, we were meant to be countercultural, uh, and therefore spotting what is the culture of the day and standing up uh, against it. Uh, this may make us feel quite uncomfortable at times, uh, or uncomfortable when someone like that is around. Now I don't, don't, don't um, Bishop Keith Sinclair, uh, I don't know whether you know, he was part of the Pilling setup, and he produced a minority report um, saying that Pilling on the gay issue had got it wrong. As yet, no bishop has come out publicly to stand with him, and I guess they're slightly embarrassed when he's around. It was true, too, of uh, Wallace Benn when he was a bishop. So that um, he spoke up on an issue, all the other bishops, they all went into uh, the lunch together, uh, Wallace sat by himself. And to his credit, Rowan Williams actually went and sat next to him. But they just found him uncomfortable. And the true teacher doesn't quite fit. And therefore, we just got to recognize that. That may be the person I need to listen to. Uh, secondly, the true teacher of God's word doesn't endlessly purvey good news. Now, this is difficult because we all want to be affirmed. We want our backs patted, our egos massaged, our feathers smoothed, um, the power of positive thinking and so on. Now, because of Calvary, the death of the Lord Jesus, we do not have a, a ministry of condemnation. Uh, the gospel is the ministry of 
good news because it's the message of forgiveness. The big issue is not homelessness, it is guilt. It's amazing, isn't it, that people don't recognize that. If you read through literature, you go back to the Greeks again and again in the tragedies, it's the outworkings of uh, guilt, um, Oedipus. Uh, you come to Shakespeare, same thing, Lady Macbeth, not all the perfumes of Arabia, because I'll deal with the, the stains of my sin. Uh, you get it uh, in Albert Camus, The Fall, what a suggestive title. Um, Clamence is walking over a, a bridge, Jean-Baptiste is uh, his name, Jean-Baptiste Clamence, he's walking over a bridge, he hears somebody drowning in, in the Seine and doesn't rescue them. And the rest of the book is the outworkings of guilt and of modern films, Atonement, uh, The Kite Runner, uh, The Million Dollar Baby. Uh, guilt is the issue. Marguerite Lasky, who is a very fine uh, humanist, said, what I envy most about you Christians is your forgiveness. There's no one to forgive me, but there is. And that is the heart of it all. It is the good news of forgiveness. But you can only spell out the wonder of the good news against the, the backcloth of the bad news, uh, that we are guilty sinners. Uh, we've got to do that graciously, got to accept it for ourselves. Um, I was mentioning this to some folk at St. Michael's on Saturday, I think, but there was a, a, a distinguished theologian who spoke of liberal theology doing the following. They talk of a God without wrath, bringing man without sin into a kingdom without justice, through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. So they leave out the fact that God is a God of wrath. That's what the Bible teaches. Uh, men without sin, uh, again and again, we're told that this is our, our, our nature, this is how we behave, but, but uh, we don't like that. So preachers get uh, criticized. I was told that I was preaching too much about sin. But the gospel only sort of stands up with all its glory when people recognize that. A kingdom without justice, oh, everybody's going to be all right. Everybody's going to be all right. I'm sure that he's going to get to heaven. Yeah, absolutely sure. Uh, through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. The Lord Jesus didn't come primarily to heal or to teach or to set an example. He came to die on a cross. And I think you'll know the answer to this, but who said... Christmas is important, Easter is decisive. And the answer is Arsenal Wenger. And he said it uh, last Christmas, when at that stage, Arsenal were top of the thing, but he realized that uh, Easter would be decisive. They were fourth at Easter, but they did win the cup. Um, but absolutely right, isn't it? Christmas is important, but Easter is decisive. Um, back at Emmanuel, uh, we got, had a chap called uh, well, a friend of a member of the congregation, Anthony Starmer, who produced the most brilliant uh, Christmas cards. So last year it was a lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of uh, mince pies, and in the middle, a hot cross bun. He came to die. Uh, this year, it was the crib scene, maybe in, in the manger, and kneeling down before the crib, there were four donkeys with a cross on the back of each one. Just making the, the point that when you come to think about Christmas, he came to die. So you've got this extraordinary thing that many people on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day want to go to a communion service. So we're just about to celebrate his birth, and we do it by remembering his death. So uh, 
the false teacher will begin moving away from these things. A God of wrath they don't like. Um, we are okay. There's nothing very serious about us. They don't keep the, the death of the Lord Jesus central. Uh, and there's going to be no sort of uh, uh, judgment. So somebody has said that uh, the prophet is like someone standing on the pavement and he sees a child in the, the road and a bus coming. And he calls out, you're going to get killed, there's a bus coming. Now he does that out of love for the child. And if the child gets out of the way, uh, you don't say, oh, it's a false prophet. No, but he's telling the truth. If you don't get out of the way, you will perish. And the true prophet, like Micaiah ben Imla, is prepared to spell out uh, the good news. You probably know that the great revival in um, America, associated with Jonathan Edwards, began with Jonathan Edwards preaching his favorite, famous sermon, uh, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And apparently he, he read his notes in a very dry, dry voice, but it was so powerful people were tying themselves to, to the pillars lest they be dragged down to hell. And the true prophet will actually warn people of that. And I'm going to listen to a teacher who warns me, who challenges me, uh, because I'm conscious that the person who loves the Lord Jesus most is the person who's most aware of how much they've been forgiven. Jesus said as much, didn't he, to Simon the Pharisee. This woman, you know, she knows how much she's been forgiven because she's a sinner. That's why she's come, says Jesus, to wash my feet and, and, and bathe me. And you, Simon, Pharisee, you'll never love me very much because you don't know how much you've been forgiven. Now, the true prophet will remind us of our guilt and our sin, against which he will tell the wonderful news of forgiveness so that we sing, ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Wonderful, isn't it, to wake up in the morning, winter's morning, and to look God in the face, call him uh, Father. So the true prophet will never be smooth and congenial. And the false teachers will try to move us away from that. There was a well-known bishop in his cathedral when they sang the hymn, In Christ Alone, wouldn't allow them to have the, the verse, The wrath of God was satisfied. Didn't like it. So they had to change the words of that verse. Thirdly, the God's spokesman, the person we listen to, cannot ultimately be ignored uh, because it was all fulfilled, verse 38. And they washed the chariot by the pool of Samaria and the dogs licked up his blood. The false prophet, the false prophets rather, uh, did have a measure of inspiration uh, but they attack the true prophet. Again, uh, saying this at St. Michael's, but it, uh, I mean, it's very interesting. You, you will remember this, but when Billy Graham came over in 1954, uh, there were bishops, one bishop, the Bishop Durham, wrote to the papers and said, it is outrageous that this country bumpkin should go and preach in Cambridge, the center of academic excellence. Well, we know it actually is Oxford, but never mind about that. But, um, but you're just poo-pooing Billy Graham. Um, and I remember an archdeacon, as about the time I was ordained, uh, late 60s, just dismissing John Stott, a dear man, just rather naive. And at the end of the 1998 Lambeth Conference, when the African bishops had made a very strong stand on the whole issue of uh, human sexuality, the liberal bishops, mainly from the States, apart from here, were, were dismissing them. Oh, no, they're just one generation away from cannibalism. 
their theology is medieval, just dismissing those false prophets. But ultimately, God's spokesman cannot be ignored. Ultimately, they're vindicated. So what Ahab tried to avoid, what the king of Aram, king of Assyria, couldn't achieve in his, uh, with his directives, God brought about in line with his word. And a certain soldier drew his bow at a venture and it pierced through uh, Ahab's armor. So what are we going to expect? Uh, well, the Lord Jesus said there are going to be wars and rumors of wars. There are going to be earthquakes and floods. My own view is that our nation and uh, the Church of England is under judgment. I think the situation is very serious. There are pockets of life, and this gathering is a real pocket of life. It's tremendous. And one of the joys of being uh, retired is apart from the fact that I'm set free from all admin, so that if the heating doesn't work or the PA is on the blink or people don't like the hymns, I'm no longer responsible. Uh, so that's a great relief. But also I have the joy of visiting various places. Uh, and it's very exciting. I don't know whether some of you took part in Passion for Life last Easter, but I was hauled off to the, um, the Cotswolds. And there's Richard Rendell taking over seven little churches. And I've got a gospel work going in each one of them, which, which is terrific. They're very tiny. Um, Steve Wookie next door, uh, Morton and Marsh. And other places, as he said, there are <coughs> real pockets of life. There are also huge areas of the country that are a spiritual desert. London is bucking the trend, as you probably know. But 50% of Christians uh, under 30 are in London. So it does tell you how needy other parts of the world are. Um, Tim will uh, correct me on this, but there's a, a church in Middlesbrough, or is it, um, where was it, Tim? Middlesbrough. Um, large uh, parish, um, and they haven't found a vicar for the last five years. So the northeast. So some of you might think of going to the northeast or even the, the southwest. The northwest is quite healthy. But by and large, the country must be under judgment. Things have moved so fast, and the church as well. And there will be going to be false preachers, false teachers within the church. So the word of God through the true teacher will challenge the world's pervading consensus. Remember how Jesus said, who do men say that I am? Are you keeping your ears open to what people are saying? We need to know what the consensus is. Uh, and the word of God will, will challenge that. The word of God will warn people of judgment. You know that in the Bible there are three forms of peace. There's peace with God when we first become Christians. There's the peace of God that garrisons our hearts. And there's false peace when the preacher comes along and says, peace, peace, where there is no peace. The true prophet will warn of judgment. And the word of the true prophet abides forever. Ultimately, it triumphs. And therefore, in the fairly sort of murky situation in which we are, <clears throat> I think we cry to the Lord for revival uh, in our land and pray that we might be part of a remnant where the, God, the word of God is preserved and then in due course fulfilled.
and my car was prepared to do that in the face of a certain amount of opposition and being slapped over the face. So may I hold up to you my hero, uh, Micaiah Ben Imler. Let me pray. Father, we do want to thank you very much indeed for the faithfulness of your word and for the warnings that we receive from it. And this warning that there are going to be false teachers around, even within the church. And we pray so much, dear Father, that you will give us discernment and judgment and spiritual wisdom. Save us from being odd and uh, cranky, but help us to realize that if we're standing with the truth, we may be unpopular, and that there is a need to spell out the bad news against which the glorious news of the gospel will stand and shine out even more brightly. But we do want to thank you, Father, that ultimately we are on the winning side and the word of the Lord abides forever. We ask this in the royal and precious name of Jesus. Amen. Jonathan, thank you so much. Um, well, I hope, like me, you feel stirred and inspired and have a sense of the, the holiness of awe in the face of a holy God. Um, how do we respond? Well, we've got some time now to discuss what Jonathan shared in our groups with one another. We want to challenge and encourage each other, and then we want to pray for each other. We'll wrap up at eight, but we've got 20 minutes now. So I wonder if... Two questions for us to look at. How can we personally be those men, men like Micaiah ben Imla, who was just a man under God? How can we be those men who are prepared to take those slaps on our faces if needs be and take a stand for truth, the whole truth? How can we be those men in our own lives who take that stand? And how can we, second question, those who make that truth known to others and how can we go about it because that is a desperate need for our city and our nation and that's right in tune with the vision and heart of burning man that we would be a remnant that we, we would be those who cry out for revival and that the lord would start with us and enable us to make it known so how can we be those men how can we make it known to other men. Let's discuss the, those things in our groups and then let's pray for each other and we'll wrap up at eight. Gents, if you're praying, please keep praying. Just to say it's, it's gone eight. Um, I've just whizzed around with some flyers. Hopefully you've each got a handful of flyers for uh, other small group members, church friends, uh, even colleagues you think might be interested. Have a pray. Think who you can give them to. I'm afraid there is a typo. Uh, croissant is spelt with one S as opposed to two. Many apologies for that. Hopefully that won't be a stumbling block to too many. But uh, I think you'll agree this morning has been outstanding, has set the bar for how we plan and hope to continue this term. Two weeks time we've got Matt Fuller uh, from Christchurch Mayfair coming to speak to us for the first time. So we're excited for that. But can we show our appreciation for Jonathan one more time this morning coming to be with us? So many thanks. God bless, guys. See you in a couple of weeks.